All right, on today's Pinche Gringo podcast, we talk with political consultant Sebastián de Lara, and we go to Israel for a report on the COVID situation there, all on today's show. Pinche Gringo, Mexico is laughing thanks to you. Hey everybody, up, welcome to the Pinche Gringo podcast. How are you Whoa. doing today, Julian? Great, great. I'm looking at Facebook here and I see your face. <laughs> well, this is our first time we're ever doing a Facebook Live for our podcast. This is our 31st episode, but we decided that we wanted to open it up to anybody checking it out at home. So thank you for joining us uh, for this yeah. Facebook Live. As Julian said, we have a great show today. Um, some really interesting things uh, happening and uh, some guests that can give us some good information about what's happening here in Mexico and also all over the world. Um, the first thing, the most important news of the day that we have to share is, I don't know if you heard this, Julian, but, um, the other day, yeah, impeachment, <laughs> yeah. right? Remember that? <laughs> Remember that, I imagine. Um, that two days ago, I think it was two days ago or maybe a couple days ago, um, a five-year-old child, uh, I guess their parents weren't home. Yeah. I want to know where, where, where were, where were they going during this, uh, outbreak, but, uh, left the house and, uh, got into the family car in Salt Lake City, Utah, and drove the car onto the highway and started yes. driving to California. And you, you, you heard this story? And yeah. And you know what, what he was going to do? Uh, I know he had a, or is it he or a she? It was a he. It was a five-year-old okay. boy. Yeah, he had a lot of money in his pocket because he was going to go buy a Lamborghini. Yeah, he was going <laughs> to buy a Lamborghini. And he had a big fight with his mom earlier in the day that he wanted a Lamborghini. And she said, no, you can't have a Lamborghini. So I can't <laughs> believe he got in the car and was able to drive it onto the highway. How do you reach the pedals? Over by, I don't know. Like, how tall is this child? I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was really stumped by that too because I, I saw the dashboard footage from the police that were following him. And they thought it was an impaired driver because it was just swerving a little bit. But yeah, exactly. other than that, like, how do you even, like, that's great that you're five and you already know how to merge onto the highway. Like, I still get nervous doing that. Yeah, you sound like <laughs> an 80-year-old, uh, you know. They, these kids these days, they're doing these so many things. Days, they probably learned it on their iPad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so, pretty wild. Um, I've never seen, uh, I've never been in a car with a five-year-old driving, so I can imagine... Like, it's probably a good thing I haven't been in a car with a five-year-old. But yeah. it seemed like, a, like yeah, that kid, I, I wanted to drive when I was five. So I feel like that I kid I wanted a Lamborghini when I was five. I had a picture yeah, of a Lamborghini Contouch on my wall, like all those posters you get. But it's just pretty amazing. But uh, this today's show, on as in every show in the last eight weeks, has been about the coronavirus. Um, and especially as it pertains in Mexico. And right now in Mexico... Um, we are supposedly today at the peak and, uh, in all the government calculations and I don't even know, like on their supercomputers that they uh -huh. get, they are saying that today is going to be the highest point. And then starting tomorrow, um, things should get progressively better, but, uh, we're all skeptical of that. The hospitals are at 75% capacity. Um, there's a, there's an app where you can see which hospitals have beds and don't have beds. Um, and, uh, there are uh, severe outbreaks going on in, um, in the east of the city, which is very concerning because these are areas of lower socioeconomic status. Um, and, uh, it seems to me, Julian, and I don't know if you think this is that, uh, we're not taking it as seriously 
as maybe some other countries like Panama, where we're going to talk to Matt McKinnis next week about Panama, yeah,、um, where there are incredible restrictions.、Uh, basically, you can go on the street, and、uh, the government has suggested to you to protect and to use、uh, mouth coverings and whatever, but it is not mandatory. Um, nor is what they're saying is a lot of the rules they have put in place that there is no enforcement、uh, or, or, or those rules. So there's been、yeah. a bit of a lackadaisical approach、um, to this. What's your feeling on that, Julian? Well, I know they have that massive supercomputer in the Senate. Like that's just yeah, doing all these models and figuring out that like prints out a paper and says May sixth is the peak.、Uh, I don't know if that's if that's based off of.、Uh, Particularities here in Mexico, or if they're just kind of going with an assumption that oh, this happened in other countries, is it probably go like this? Which I know they are considering that, but sometimes yeah, it feels like they're running these models in like a separate room than what's going on in reality, because it doesn't seem like people have been at least the past like week or two like it's not as clamped down as in other countries like in Spain or like, like it was in Spain or is in Panama. There's a lot more freedom of movement. We can go out basically any time of day we want or night.、Um, the mask is still—it's people are saying you should wear it, but I can't see any policemen stopping you in the street telling you to go get a mask on.、Um, so it seems like we're we're scraping by. We're doing most of the things right, but we're not doing the full the full, the、uh, full Monty, right? Is, yeah, the full Monty, the whole shooting match. And, you know, and is can, the full Monty is the full effect? And this is just a, a posing a question to everybody. Um, the right strategy.、Uh, many people,、um, and, and I will, and maybe people will argue with me, but I think that、uh, maybe it's a privileged view that we all should stay in our houses and 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 be restricted until this is all over. But the socioeconomic situation of this country、uh, in Mexico is very dire, and for people not being able to go out and function and work,、um, they could be starving. Yeah, we're learning. Because, it's like、uh, there's as many negative effects with shutting down the economy as there is with just the health situation, right? Right, and and you know, I think that sometimes, like when we get into like you know, I, I am I'm a liberal, and and I believe in a lot of things that you know the left wing of different parties believe in, and and sharing and and protecting the good, and but sometimes we have to check the things that we know and our experiences about like can other people afford. To be able to do that, and is Mexico's approach working for Mexico? And in a place like Panama,、uh, where you know there's maybe there is less poverty there, or or in other places in the world that are doing like a complete lockdown, like New Zealand,、uh, who completely locked down the entire country for a month, told everybody to go home, had enough money in the budget to pay everybody's salary for one month,、um, and now they're celebrating that they're next to zero. But you know you have five million.、Uh, Uh, 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 people in, in an industrialized and educated population、uh, that was able to do that. Yeah, and、um, a bunch of islands as well. Exactly. So, I was、right. in New Zealand last June, and definitely more sheep、uh, than people. And so, are we judging ourselves based on other countries? And do other countries need、uh, to have different differentiated responses?、Uh, because the loss of economic activity. Can be the loss of life. On the other hand, the loss of life cannot be discounted in any way, shape, or form by any way. So when you're announcing、uh, that ten or twenty or fifty thousand people will die if you open up the country and do things, is that okay?
And some people are saying, yes, it's okay because the economic catastrophe and the amount of hunger and the amount of violence and the amount of insecurity um, and, the, and the lack of ac economic activity can be incredibly destructive to a lot of people uh, for years to come. So let, let's get some more opinion on this. So we have joining with us our first guest of the day, uh, a great friend and um, Sebastian de Lara, who had spent many years working at the foreign ministry and now he is uh, vice president of the Spaceside Group uh, here in Mexico. And Seb, first of all, the word Spaceside makes me think that you're selling uh, shoes for fancy um, sailboats. <laughs> or liquor, right? Or whiskey. It's, it's a type of whiskey. So when you told me you were working there, I was like, are you in Nantucket right now uh, peddling shoes to like fancy people or... I thought it was more. So. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of like Elon Musk or something. Like, uh, <laughs> like you're onto some big things. Big things. So, Seb, so, so comment about this. To tell us about what we've just been talking about, because you have been working in Mexican politics for a very long time. Uh, you have also uh, been really focused on uh, understanding different uh, governments and systems in your work at the foreign uh, ministry. And is there a point to this that maybe Mexico's reaction to the coronavirus is what works for Mexico and shouldn't be judged based on places like the United States and Europe and other places in the world? Because we are not, and I want to repeat this, this is something important. Trump's talking about, again, scaring people about Mexico and Mexicans and justifying his border wall. He's going to do a lot more of this in trying to convince people that the border wall is going to keep out Mexico because they can't handle the coronavirus. But it is true that we have uh, 2,000 deaths. And I think in the U.S. now it's gone. It's, it's going to approach 70 to 80,000 and over a million people sick. So is it crazy that he is saying that Mexico is not handling this crisis? And can there be some American exceptionalism here where Americans, and I'm American, but we can never admit that we're not doing things as good as another country or anything else because it has been ingrained in us and drilled in us since birth that America is the best country in the world and stands for freedom and everything's the perfect and right. And it takes you to get 10 years out of the US to realize Wait a second, we're not so exceptional, right? Thanks, Julian, for because you know, not things aren't going so well in Canada either. So, but Seb, what do you think about everything? Like the million things I just said. No, absolutely. Well, from the beginning, uh, well, thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, I'm, not only are you guys my friends, but I'm also a huge fan, and I'm happy to be here. I think that uh, in order to judge the way Mexico has has reacted to this very unexpected pandemic. Uh, I, I think you can't compare it with any country. I think making comparisons is something very difficult. There are a lot of things and a lot of factors that you have to consider. And there is that point where how, how much do you affect uh, or, or do you protect people from the pandemic and how much do you affect the economy? No, And I think that's always been the question. How do you get to some point uh, in the middle where you're not um, you're making sure that people are staying home and staying safe but at the same time uh, the economy somehow or another is still moving along and I think that if we analyze kind of how the way things have been 
done in Mexico at the very beginning. I, I, we had probably one of the, the world leaders along with Donald Trump, uh, Bolsonaro and, um, a few others, probably Boris Johnson who minimized the situation and President Lopez Obrador minimized the situation. He, in fact, at some point or another told people to go out to go to restaurants and, and to hug and to see each other. And I think that that, that mixed message was what affected Mexico the most, possibly at the beginning, made people feel that there was not really uh, an issue or, or the pandemic wasn't affecting us as much as possible. And once deaths, the te death toll uh, started to grow, I think people started to take it more seriously. And uh, the even the, the federal government decided to switch their spokesperson, even though the president is speaking every single day in the in the mornings, but he's avoiding speaking regarding uh, the pandemic and, and talking about other things and uh, more in the at night. Uh, the undersecretary for health is the person that's speaking. I think that they've been doing their best to to keep the pandemic from growing. Um, however, without proper planning at the beginning is is what affected, and I think that's what can be seen in any country all over the the Absolutely. world. Let's let's give our let's give our listeners a background of uh, for anybody joining us from the U.S. or people who haven't been tuned in Mexico. So uh, Lopez Obrador won the presidency um, and and was uh, put in uh, a year ago, right? Or a year and a half ago. So he's coming on almost two years into his presidency. And uh, since he started becoming president, he cut all budgets and gone into a very austere mode because that was going to be his way to clamp down on corruption. Then after he did that, he has invested in major projects that are the hallmark of his uh, presidency, which is a oil refinery in Tabasco and an airport, a new airport, not the airport that the previous administration wanted to build, but a new airport uh, very close uh, in Mexico City to alleviate um, those things and, and, and some other projects. And so since the coronavirus started, uh, the president has not wanted to veer away from those two things, austerity, the building is still going on, and he's pretended that nothing is going on and everything's fine because he wanted to continue his agenda about riot corruption, cutting expenses and, and other things. Now, Seb, you are someone who knows very, very close uh, in detail about uh, the president and the people around him and, and what's going in his mind right now uh, and, 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 and pretending that he's doing what he thinks is right rationalize his actions for us is austerity and continued austerity during this crisis a smart move that mexico does not default or should they be pumping billions and billions of pesos into the economy like they're doing in other countries in the world to keep the economy running um, and then risk going into incredible debt and default and not having foreign investment and owing money to the World Bank or whatever, and how they're going to finance this? No, absolutely. I think debt in this case is needed for Mexico. Uh, without a doubt, so many businesses are going under from all the arrays of industries that you can imagine. 
it's really a, a, a huge economic crisis that we're facing and the consequences, we're not even seeing them yet. And, and they're going to come up shortly. And I think they're going to be uh, totally devastating for the country, especially uh, not only people's pockets, but also uh, security wise. I think that the, the country's going to go into a situation where just violence is going to grow and things are going to be a lot more terrible unless the government really does something about this. It seems as though they don't want to. It, 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 it's something that I, I can't really understand because it's quite evident what they need to do. And, uh, the, the president insists on not doing it. I think that, uh, and I was talking about this with, uh, with a friend, uh, the other day, Duncan Wood, who, who I think will one day be on your show. Uh, we were basically saying that it kind of seems that this is a situation that Lopez Obrador is enjoying in a way, uh, in a way where the government uh, is the sole actor, the sole power that is there to either save people or affect people. And there are no other powers uh, or, there. No, the, the private uh, sector is basically dependent on government action. The civil society is also dependent on government action. And it, it kind of feels that, uh, the president likes to be this, this lone power. And this is, this can be very devastating for the country. But in fact, I think it can be devastating for him as well, because, uh, soon in 2021, we're having midterm elections. In 2022 is the referendum where uh, people will vote if the president stays in government or not. And uh, I think that if things continue to go south, uh, then he's going to have a lot of trouble keeping his party as the ruling party in Congress uh, during the midterms. And probably some will lose some, if not many, gubernatorial races, uh, right. Etc. No, I think that it, it right. can and be so a bad situation. So there's a six-year term for the for the president, and this president decided when he was incredible popularity. I think his numbers were in the 70s when he started, yeah. right? Like really, exactly. really high. And uh, if anybody from the U.S. is listening, uh, AMLO is exactly like Donald Trump in just the leftist clothes in some of aspects where if he went on to reforma and, and shot somebody, he would still have popularity from some sector of the population. So he decided to make a referendum uh, that is not constitutional. It is, it is just made by him that people will vote to, for him to continue his term. Uh, because he knew he was on this high popularity ratings, and now what, what I in the last polls have been indicating that his uh, uh, poll numbers have dropped below fifty percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's around eight, forty-eight percent at the moment, which could sound healthy for a uh, for a leader. However, if you think that when he entered, he was uh, in the mid seventies, it's a it's a huge drop. No, so yes, exactly. Uh, there's still, uh, uh, some sectors of the, of the country that support him almost no matter what. Uh, but there is other sectors that did vote for him and they're trying, starting to see that maybe it wasn't such a good idea. That, uh, I, I think that we are still to find out. Things don't look great, but I, I think that he also does have a situation where he can, you know, show the country and show the world what he's made of and and really step up to the plate and and change things but it doesn't seem like 
that is the case. No, no, and it's, <clears throat> I'm thinking too, like what's been discussed about the the oil uh, refinery in Tabasco, um, the airport here, and I believe that the, the train, Ma- yeah, the mm-hmm. train Maya also, which are all three kind of dependent on fossil fuels, which aren't really so, uh, let's say, lucrative anymore. And also tourism, two industries that have been really, really adversely affected by by this uh, pandemic. Um, at what point do we say this is maybe personal pride if it just keeps going and working on these particular projects that aren't guaranteed to no success in the future? Or is this a wise idea considering that both those commodities would be more valuable in the future? What, what do you think about that? I think that, for example, the the airport Almost every single expert in aerospace and aeronautics can tell you that it's a bad idea. Um, I think that that was just uh, uh, some situation that uh, out of personal pride uh, regarding the the Mayan train, it's not that clear that it's going to boost tourism and there's going to be a lot of social aspects to the building of it. Parts of it run through uh indigenous population towns uh, and and it could you know i think that it could be a big problem all on its own the person that was hired to run it uh quit about after a year it, it, things don't look very good on that end and on the oil and gas front i mean it's just very clear and a couple of weeks ago the mexican oil prices were below zero it's just very, very clear that that's not the way to go. It's kind of like Donald Trump and coal. It's just going to the past and it's not thinking about the future. And, and the way I see it is that, you know, think of universities today that are very, very, uh, mo- moving forward with online education and then those that aren't. The ones that are moving forward in online education today are thriving. Uh, during this pandemic, obviously there are some problems that they have and, 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 and uh, enrollment is an issue, but, um, but they're doing much better than one would expect during a crisis. And the, the universities that aren't moving forward, uh, simply are stuck and, and have very bad situations. It's something very similar. If we move forward technologically, we will advance as a, as a nation and as, uh, as, uh, North America. But if we don't, then then things are going to look very, very grim. Right. So, Seb, let's go back to um, his poll numbers, because a year ago, uh, many people had thought that he was invincible, that um, his party, the Morena party, has basically an authoritarian control of the entire country. They control most state legislators. They control most governorships and uh, the national legislator, both the Senate and the House of Representatives here in Mexico. So he basically has a, a near total control over this. Um, the two questions that I have for you is the first one is that there was something going on in the Congress last week about um, fighting over that control. Um, tell us more about that. And also, where is he losing support now? That it was, uh, he was invincible a year ago and just like night and day, uh, people are losing confidence in him. So why are the people that believe in him so much that he was the savior that was going to take Mexico out of poverty, that was going to stop corruption, now they're having second thoughts about that? 
Absolutely. Um, the, the, to answer your first question, basically, uh, the president proposed a bill in Congress that stated that he had practically full disclosure on the national budget. Now, the national budget in Mexico is always considered within the Mexican lower house. It's a huge issue. Uh, basically, they start discussing it somewhere around October and it ends up being approved by December. And so basically he asked for full discretionary uh, control over the national budget. That's basically taking away uh, the lower house's main objective and, and, and what they do basically most uh, in, in a legislative period is basically focus on next year's budget. So right. that's the situation. It is, it is worrying. Um, I think he thought at some point that he was going to get away with it. They required very little votes, uh, from the opposition, uh, in order to pass it. And, but it seems that it's becoming a lot more difficult. Right now, Congress is in recess. However, it wouldn't be a surprise that at some point during the summer, uh, they call for an extraordinary period of, uh, and, and they go to a session to vote on this. And if they do, then that means that probably the president has the votes to do it. And it's a very, quite an authoritarian and more, more power move. and control. And, and something to, uh, and very, very, very seldomly do I ever defend Trump. But one point that he is trying to make is that in no time during this crisis has he or the government made any moves to take authoritarian control. Actually, he's done the opposite by giving, empowering the states and putting the responsibility on the state governors uh, to do that. Maybe he's trying to deflect something, but he has not moved to take a, a authoritarian control of the country, which in wartime, which is this is a wartime, uh, is something that uh, would be a normal reaction from a, uh, a power-hungry president. Exactly. I'm sorry, and I forgot your second question. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just, it's just a real big thought about this that, you know, AMLO is moving towards that. No, absolutely. It's definitely worrying. Um, oh, and I remember your question now, especially who is losing their confidence in, in AMLO. It seems that the middle class, one of the things that AMLO was at least campaigned is that he was going to lead responsibly and lead uh, in an intelligent manner. And for example, if you look at how the culture sector in Mexico has been treated under his administration, it's just the, things have gone very, very bad, very, very quickly. And for example, a lot of people who depend on culture, education, etc., are realizing that it was maybe not the best uh, way to go during the 2018 elections. And the same thing is occurring uh, also with uh, a good part of the of the bureaucracy in Mexico of public and civil servants, those that are not uh, motivated by the parties, those that have been working in the civil service for many, many years, uh, I think that are the ones that have been taking the most hits, as AMLO says, that they are the ones that have to uh, make less money, uh, etc. So I think that those sectors kind of define the Mexican middle class in a way. And another is that there has been really no, nothing done regarding corruption in Mexico since he entered into power. And just recently, uh, a big corruption scandal has occurred that the, the son 
of the pre the president of the Federal Energy Commission, who is someone who has been in government for a very, very long time and is very close to, uh, to AMLO, basically has been selling to the national government um, ventilators at extremely, extremely high prices. And he was he basically obtained the rights to sell these ventilators just recently. And it was a, a, a direct allocation. There, there was no uh, government uh, procurement procedure or anything of the sort. So it's something that is really a, a big, big problem. And corruption is not being, uh, it's not slowing down. And that was basically what he campaigned on. Absolutely. So Sebastian De Lara, former leader in the uh, Ministry of Foreign Relations, uh, vice president of Speyside Group. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Seb, and uh, a very important part of the conversation about the Mexican government and how it's dealing with the uh, coronavirus. And hopefully we'll have you on again. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Dan and Julian, and, and have a great, great day. You too. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Seb. All right, Seb. Uh, that was awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. I had a really interesting, was thinking about that whole like <clears throat> authoritarian leaders or not authoritarian leaders, but like not taking leadership being used as, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just trying not, not to have, have tentacles of the government in everybody's life and I'm hands off. I'm a, I'm not a big government, but really if you just don't do anything, then you can get away with saying that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that tr Trump, you know, pushed responsibility to the states. Um, so because he knew early on, this is going to be a disaster. So by deflecting to the States, um, he thought that they were going to, uh, make that happen. And, and, and that's not happening. Uh, AMLO and Trump are losing, uh, in the polls. They're losing. And this whole like rallying around the, the flagpole, um, to support, uh, the president is not happening, which is very strange in wartime. Usually people rally behind, uh, the president and the leader. And I guess, that's not happening. So let, let's move on to our next topic. And I'm very excited uh, to have her on the show today, uh, Rafaela Atencio, um, who is Panamanian but has lived in Israel for a number of years. And we wanted to get an update on how things are going in Israel. And uh, just the statistics from Tuesday, there were 16,268 cases in Israel, uh, only 237 people dead uh, from the disease. And uh, fatalities per million of population are 27 uh, per million, and uh, as opposed to 213 in the United States. So it seems like, I mean, <laughs> let's give it here. U.S. is failing from every country in the world, right, at this, almost every country in the world. But what's really fascinating right now is that Israel is going into uh, an experiment, I guess, because no one's done this yet where they will be testing 100,000 individuals and giving them blood tests, uh, where they will be sampling the population to see what percent of the population has the antibodies. And based on that percentage, they are going to decide how to reopen the country. If it's 10%, they're going to be uh, thinking about a herd mentality is where you have so many young and healthy people that have the antibodies out uh, that if there's a second wave that comes, they will be protected and the country can move forward. Uh, or um, if it's 1%, they'll have to do more strict, uh, stringent measures. And this is a country that has gone through a really tough year. They've had 
three elections. Uh, they have a prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, that is indicted on corruption charges uh, and uh, or will be indicted, has not been indicted yet, but the indictment is on its way. Um, and they have had such close elections or a battle between left and right, just like it's happening in the U.S. about uh, liberal ideology versus conservative, um, that they can continue to have elections and they can't make a government. So they really haven't had a legitimate government uh, in almost a year. And then after that, uh, having the coronavirus. So a lot of things going on, Rafael. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining us so late at night um, from <laughs> Tel Aviv, Thank correct? Thank you for having me. Yes, exactly, from Tel Aviv. So tell me, Rafael, what I told you about like the situation. What is generally the situation right now in Israel? Uh, and what is the mood of the people? Well, uh, yesterday they allowed us to get out of the house for more than a hundred meters. Now we're allowed to go anywhere we want. So they're uh, uh, making the restrictions less heavy on us. Um, today I went by the beach, everyone is out, everyone is in the parks, everyone is just keeping with their lives and they're supposed to open restaurants next week, cafes, uh, cinemas, and the kids are going back to school on Sunday. Wow. Kids up to 13 years old, I think. That's Everything's amazing. back. <laughs> or yeah. starting to come back. Now, are people scared? Do, do, is there a feeling in the country right now that there still is a pandemic and there's a risk? Or do people think that the worst is over? No, you definitely feel that people are still scared. People still don't touch. People, people still don't get really close to each other. But they're definitely on their way back to normal life. How long have you, uh, has there been a lockdown, and what was the lockdown like at its at its uh, at its peak? Uh, I think it started mid March, March sixteenth, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, like you said, until yesterday, we were not supposed to leave the house and, unless it was on a radius of hundred meters. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many feet. Yeah, I was gonna ask like if you had anything interesting near your house within a hundred meters, or is it just like an empty field, or is there like an arcade well, or something? I have a few shops for food, um, like grocery, groceries mainly, nothing nothing else. I don't have so, a park, I don't have a bench where I can sit. Okay. If, you, if, you, if the grocery store was more than 100 meters away from your ha apartment, how would you be able to go about that? Then you would be allowed to go, but only to that store wearing a mask and immediately go back to your house. And, uh, wow. and the people have been like, we're accepting this and used to it because I know that uh, Israel in particular has dealt with many decades of, of, uh, of crises, no, or war or fear of, uh, you know, invasions or bombings or whatever. So how have people been taking to this specifically in Israel? Well, I definitely feel that this time it's been really different from when we have wars or uh, security crisis and such uh, because it's unseen and people didn't really know how to react to it. But they have been following the rules now uh, in each shop that you go into, they have to take your temperature. You can't go in if you don't have a mask and people in general, they respect that. Right. Now, there was a protest a couple of weeks ago and last week, I believe, as well, that made the news uh, where uh, people are continuing the protest, uh, this idea. So the, the opposition party decided or the leader of the opposition party decided to come together with uh, the guy that's being indicted, Benjamin Netanyahu, and form 
a new government together and there were a lot of people outraged by it. Now there was a protest at the main square in Tel Aviv where everybody was socially distancing six, what is it, two meters apart, right? Can you tell us more two about this? Apart. This happened. It's amazing, right? A social distancing protest. Yeah, there were 2,000 people in like one of the main squares in Tel Aviv and they never uh, asked the people not to protest. They always allowed it, but with the health recommendations. That, that's pretty amazing that the government yeah. let this happen. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's pretty it's, amazing to see. I'm curious too about um, different countries starting to open up to tourism or to travelers, people from different countries. The, <clears throat> is that on, on track or has that been discussed at all in Israel about when they're going to start allowing international flights? Yes. And yes they said that they might uh, implement a kind of a health passport where you would go to the airport get tested within 45 minutes get the result and then you would be allowed or not to board a flight and okay. uh, the same when coming back so you would avoid the the two-week quarantine that's okay, pretty yeah it's fascinating that you know israel is like moving forward with and being in innovative with testing and uh, technology uh, that a lot of countries can't even do. I mean, I think in the U.S. yesterday, Trump said that uh, ventilators might have been on their way, but he doesn't know where they are or something yeah. like that. Uh, How is that? that? Yeah, exactly. How are the people? We're looking into uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> How are the people feeling about the government's response in Israel? Like majority, even though people who really can't stand, like it's a very polarized and divided. Are these divisions still firm that people who hate the Netanyahu government are saying that the response has been bad? Or has there been different responses um, or p feelings about the government that they've been doing a good job in this? No, people in general, they think that there has been a really good response to it because like you said, we had pretty a pretty low number of deaths uh, and a pretty low number of infections. Um, so I really don't think the political discussion is the main topic here uh, because everyone is so worried. And from what I feel, everyone is happy with the results, with how right. it's going and how it's been handled. Has the, has the news media been reporting about uh, conditions in uh, the West Bank and in Gaza? Has the Israeli government uh, putting in the same restrictions in those areas or are they being administered by the, uh, the Palestinian Authority and, and, uh, and the authority in Gaza? Uh, from what I understand, it's been, it's been dealt with within the Gaza Strip and uh, the Israeli government is supplying them um, like medical supplies, medicine and, and some ventilators. Yeah, because there's a lot of flow in transit, right, between these uh, areas. And I couldn't imagine that Israel could be completely protected if uh, the other areas were having serious outbreaks. Um, and as I know, in Lebanon, for example, as a comparison, Lebanon is in major catastrophe right now. And, and, and uh, there is uh, a lot of problems there with the coronavirus. And so it's really interesting in a, in a, in a country that basically Beirut to Tel Aviv is like a, what, two to three hour drive. And having such a incredible difference um, in the situation is really striking and really concerning. Yeah, I know that in the Arab communities and the Muslim communities near Jerusalem, they're basically all quarantined because they have a high uh, percentage of infection. So the whole uh, 
the whole area is quarantined for now. They're still okay. not allowed to go out. Uh, and it's the same for uh, for uh, some excuse me um, for some um, uh, religious Jewish communities that have a high level of infections. They just quarantine the whole neighborhood or the whole city. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Actually, that was my next question because the Jewish community in the United States, um, in the Hasidic community in Brooklyn, there was a big controversy with Mayor De Blasio. Uh, where he tried to shut down a funeral of a rabbi who died of the coronavirus. And there were hundreds of people out there mourning him. And it was a big debate because de Blasio said the Jewish community instead of the Hasidic community. And that uh -huh. made an uproar within the entire Jewish population. And you don't want to mess with three million uh, Jewish people in the tri-state area of New York when you know, you're, you're putting, uh, putting the entire community down. So what is going on in the Orthodox community um, and how is the government responding to that? Well, at the beginning, they were also gathering for funerals and even for weddings and but mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs. Uh, and so the army got involved and forced them to quarantine the whole city because the, I think one third of their population was infected already and whole families were getting to the hospital. And it's families that have six, seven, eight, sometimes 10 people. So it's a lot. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, you're, you work in the diamond industry, uh, Rafaela. Yeah. This is something that Julian mentioned uh, uh, last week. Tell us, um, I guess, I mean, you can't really make diamonds from home, right? So how are you, uh, how, how are you working through this? And I guess you've seen um, engagements uh, significantly declining, right, during this. Uh <laughs> yeah, because people are trying to uh, spend less money. Uh, and also, there is no import of rough stone, so we can't have uh, a normal production. And, and nobody's meeting each other either. And Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the Diamond Exchange is a big building with a lot of offices <coughs> and a lot of people going in and out. So no, one's, no one is coming. Uh, a lot of companies have put their employees on holidays uh, without salary. Um, Perfect yeah, time I, for a I, heist. <laughs> no, I can just imagine people fighting, job. right? It's like, why, yeah, yeah. why haven't you asked me to marry you? I've been dating you for five years. Well, it's a coronavirus. There's no rings it's available. I can't excuse. propose. I don't want to yeah. give anybody any crazy ideas, but since we're already almost dressed like burglars with the mask on and trying to protect ourselves and nobody's at the diamond offices, <laughs> it might be a pretty opportunistic time. Yeah, right. Israel, <laughs> exactly. Cartwheels. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>, Raphael, <laughs> thanks so much for joining Bye us today. Kids. We really appreciate your time. I know it's late over there. Uh, stay strong. And as I promised, I'm going to be there uh, as soon as this thing is over. And uh, I'll be here some, waiting. Uh, delicious <laughs> uh, food and everything in my, one of my favorite cities in the world, which is Tel Aviv. So thanks for joining us, Raphael. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Bye-bye. Uh, all right. Raphael Atencio. Uh, Panamanian, but uh, living in Israel for a long period of time. Uh, it was great to have her on the show and to uh, discuss this. So, Julian, uh, what else, man? What's going on? Uh, what's happening in the gringo uh, this week? A hell of a lot more than what's happening in my house during quarantine, Dan. But uh, <laughs> on, uh, at the gringo, <clears throat> well, we got that really special day of the year on Sunday coming up. Uh, time to celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, so... We at Pinche Gringo have kind of a, a bit of a surprise that I don't want to necessarily reveal now, but you'll see in our communication online, uh, there'll be some extra little goodies in the order. Uh, if you make an order for your mother on Sunday, 
uh, from any of our locations. Uh, also, we got Drag Queen Bingo, which has been going uh, for the past few weeks. Now we're on Zoom. So if anyone's interested in participating, if you miss Drag Queen Bingo or you don't know what the hell it is and you're interested, uh, if you make a purchase through pgbbq.mx, you're eligible to get two bingo cards, physical cards that will come into your order, and that will make you eligible to participate in the live streaming Drag Queen Bingo starting at 8 p.m. every Wednesday from our Facebook page at Pinche Gringo Barbecue, but also transmitted through Zoom so people can interact and play and claim their prizes because there are prizes involved. So if you're interested in participating in that, make a purchase at Pinche Gringo Barbecue, uh, the menu, and look for the section Drag Queen Bingo. And lastly, we got a birthday coming up. The warehouse is turning three. It's now beginning to walk on its own. And we're excited that we're going to have a whole week of uh, different experiences. We can't do it like we used to. Uh, we can't have a big party at the warehouse. Um, but one of these days, we'll have to celebrate this. So in the meantime, uh, there'll be some extra little goodies, too, if you make an order that week. Uh, stay tuned to our social media. We're going to have our beef ribs also. I know that people really like that. So. Uh, stay tuned uh, for more communication on our socials. That's great, Julian. And uh, everybody be safe. Give us some feedback and tell us how uh, you like this on Facebook because we're going to continue on Facebook Live and maybe next week bring it into the Pinchy Gringo uh, site on Facebook. And uh, next week we have some great guests. And uh, tune in every week, Wednesday, yeah. 2 o'clock p.m. Uh, for now. And maybe we'll change the time with uh, Facebook Live. But... This is a great forum for us to do it. This is our 31st episode. So you can go on yeah. to any of our social on uh, Spotify, on Apple uh, iTunes, on uh, SoundCloud, on MixCloud, on Cloud, and Nature, whatever. Like you can yeah. find, Nature if you cloud. just search Pinche Gringo Podcast on any of your uh, forums, you can find any of the episodes, which includes things like uh, a famous Canadian wrestler who was very famous in Mexico or uh, our drag queens or uh, the guy that, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's what, thousands, what your of favorite? thousands of them. What's your favorite? Um, well, I always like talking with Agustin because uh, uh, I learn a lot. Um, I like the ones where we learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I, of course, Evis, the, our, our, our friend and ESPN reporter, proud fan of the Chiefs. Always fun to have him on the show as well. Yeah, of course. And it's always about uh, things and people uh, that are living in Mexico City mostly and some people from a, a, abroad but uh, that are doing really really interesting things and mm -hmm. uh, talking a bit about what's happening at Pinche Gringo and, and some other goodies on each show so if you're new if you logged into my personal account today thank you guys for joining us today please tell your friends and join us next week as we have another episode of the Pinche Gringo podcast all right. Also, if you're new as well and you, you were really surprised by the way either Dan or myself or Cynthia look, please drop us a comment and say if it exceeded your expectations or decreased your expectations. We'd love to, we'd love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> All right. And if that's for the Pinchy Gringo podcast, I'm Dan DeFossi at Pinchy Gringo Dan on Instagram. I'm Julian Vawa at Snappy Jewels on Instagram. And uh, don't find me on Facebook because I probably won't get back to you. All right, guys, have a good day. <laughs> Take care. Transvestite in Cancun. And see.